This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Sis, I'm coming out hot. I'm grumpy. Oh no. Why are you grumpy? I hope you've come to the Zoom tonight to make me feel better. I this true crime story will definitely make you feel so much better. I find that hard to believe. It's not a murder tonight, oh. at least. Yeah. It's like you could sense my mood. <laughs> you not to. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. I bet you've heard of this one today, though. Oh, have I? I think so. But before I tell you about it, because you're grumpy, do you want to take over the housekeeping this week? No. (laughs) Okay, I just thought I'd check. No, my only housekeeping item is I have been living for the reviews. People, I mean. We've gotten so many, and they're all amazing, and they make me cry. Yeah, the irony of people talking about how we feel like they're friends, and I actually have no real-life friends here. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Please cut that. That came out way more embarrassing than I thought. But truly, this weekend, I was like, I have no one to like go to brunch with or hang out with. I'm like, I got 225 fake people here that want to be my friend. I just love the one that said how intelligent I am. (laughs) Wait, I missed that. (laughs) You missed it. I'll pull it up for you. Kristen is incredibly intelligent. And I love her insightful deep dives. Thank you. And you're (laughs) welcome. Thank you. And I'm adorable. Adorable. (laughs) Before we get on to this week's episode, I want to introduce you to a new podcast that I think you might like. It's called Coffee and Cases. And so we're going to play a little promo here that will introduce you to that podcast. Greetings from the Bluegrass State. That's Kentucky, if y'all didn't know. We want to tell you about the hottest new podcast on the block, Coffee and Cases. If you fancy yourself an at-home detective. If you find yourself yelling at the TV during that new true crime documentary. Then you, my friend, are a certified sleuth hound. Just like us. On Coffee and Cases podcast, you'll hear about the missing, the murdered, and the unsolved. But the cases you've rarely, if ever, heard about. All from the perspective of two teacher friends, rule followers, and self-proclaimed scaredy cats. Join me, Allison, and me, Maggie, each week 
as we take on cases that are often overlooked but are screaming for justice. Finally, a true crime podcast where you don't have to monitor the foul language. Coffee and Cases is a true crime guilty pleasure that you don't actually have to feel guilty about. Check out Coffee and Cases every Thursday for a new episode on your favorite podcasting app. Are you ready for this? We've got to quit just absolutely like <laughs> annihilating jock jams. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Creepers. All right. This week is going to be week one in a non-consecutive, so far, three-part series (laughs) that I am... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Then it's not a series. (laughs) That I am calling My Famous Creeper Neighbors, also known... As the Clear Lake women who snapped. (gasps) Do I know these women? You do know these women. I grew up in Clear Lake, which is a master planned community in Houston, Texas, about halfway between Galveston and downtown Houston. It's got a population around 85,000 and Niche.com said it's the second best neighborhood to live in in Houston. So (sighs) what, like in the early 90s? (laughs) Uh, Currently. And they rated it an A in every area. Except crime and safety. That's we got, we got a C minus in crime and safety. I was gonna say that's the least surprising thing I've heard. I I am just gonna say this: when I first met you, and I mm-hmm. knew that you were from Clear Lake High School, mm-hmm. I automatically thought I wasn't gonna like you. <laughs> like you know that fair. reputation. I yeah. mean, like that's I was just fair. like, oh Jesus! I didn't like most of the people I went to high school. Okay, with. so. <laughs> Except the ones that are listening. Thank you. Love you. The ones that are listening. You made your shout. (laughs) But it really is the least surprising thing to hear that they probably self-rated themselves A and everything. (laughs) Yeah. It's mostly full of engineers and people who work in the aerospace industry because Johnson Space Center is in Clear Lake. It's where mission control is. It's where most of the astronaut training happens. So NASA and the space program were always really big parts of my life. Like, my very first job was at NASA as an intern. That's a little bit of a flex. Yeah. (laughs) Again, that your Clear Lake's (laughs) showing. 
And the astronauts' kids all went to my school. And I only bring that up because this story I'm telling you today deals with an astronaut who just happened to live right around the corner from me at the time. Oh, Russell's going to be here for this. Today, I'm going to tell you about one of the Clear Lake women who snapped. I feel like I might know this. Like, I don't know the details, but I think I have a guess. Oh, yeah? Yes. Could you sum it up in one word? Yes. You know the word. What's the word, Mogab? Diaper. (laughs) Is it a diaper? (laughs) That would be the word. (laughs) Yes! Okay, I only know, like, this headline. I actually Uh don't know the story. Excellent. I think I was too weirded out at the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Diapers. It was 1 a.m. on February 6th, 2007, and Colleen Shipman's flight from Houston had just landed in Orlando. She was returning home after a weekend with her boyfriend, Bill, who lived in Houston. They'd only been dating about three months, but it had gotten serious fast, despite the long distance, and she was still riding that love high from the visit. It was a late night. Her flight got in at 1 a.m., And it was made even later when her luggage was delayed. It didn't come on the flight she'd came in. She had to wait a couple of hours for it to come in on the next flight. So she pissed. Finally, around 3.15 in the morning, she gets her luggage and she goes out to wait for the shuttle bus to take her from the terminal to her car that was in the lot. And when the bus arrived, she got on, she handed her luggage to the driver, telling him that she was in Section B. And she noticed a woman in a hooded tan trench coat get on the bus with her. Colleen was a little nervous about the woman. A trench coat kind of stands out in Orlando, even in February. But it was late, and the only thing really on her mind at that point was getting home. When the driver arrived at Section B, the woman in the trench coat got off the bus while Colleen waited for the driver to grab her bag. And the parking lot was basically deserted at this point, and it was just the two of them out there. Mm. Colleen realized as soon as she got off the bus that she'd made a mistake. Her car was not in Section B. It was in Section C. And so now she'd have a long walk to her car. Not what you want at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're trying to get home. And not only that, but it was raining. Ew. Yeah. This is a bad night for Colleen. (laughs) So she started making her way to her car, lugging her luggage behind her, you know. When she heard the footsteps behind her start to run towards her. Colleen. Get out of there, sis. That's when she got scared. Her car was closer at this point, maybe 10 spots away, but it felt like a mile. And so she started speed walking as fast as she could, certain that this person was following her. She didn't know why, but she knew it couldn't be good. She's wearing a trench coat in Orlando. She tried telling herself not to be paranoid, that this woman was probably just in a hurry to get to her own car, but she didn't slow down. Her anxiety was at an all-time high, and as soon as she reached her car, she quickly threw open the back seat door, threw her suitcase in, slammed the door shut, opened the driver's door, jumped in, and in one motion, she pulled the door shut, locked the doors, and as soon as she locked the door, the woman was there jerking on the door (gasps) handle, trying to get it open. My anxiety is at an all-time high, and I don't even have anxiety. When she couldn't get the door open, she started slapping her hands on the window (gasps) right next to Colleen. Who is she? Who is she? Colleen had no idea who this woman was, and she was terrified. And then the woman shouted at Colleen that she needed help. (gasps) She said her boyfriend was supposed to pick her up, and he wasn't there. And so she asked if she'd give her a ride to the parking office. 
No. Colleen kind of began to calm down. Like, this is a rational explanation for what had just happened. This woman is in distress. She needs help. And her plight tugged on her heartstrings a little. But her brain was still screaming, danger, danger, danger. And she shook her head. And she said if she needed help, that Colleen would send someone out to the parking lot to help her. Yeah, yeah. The woman tried again. Can I use your cell phone then? Colleen wanted to help this woman who's traveling alone. She didn't want to leave her in distress, but she was still scared of this woman. So she lied and she told her that her phone battery was dead. I mean, that's believable at this hour. Right. You've been traveling all day. And so then the woman started sobbing and she (sighs) begged for her to roll her window down. And she said she couldn't hear her. She couldn't hear what Colleen was saying. And she kept asking her to roll the window down, roll the window down. And the tears worked. They overpowered her brain that was screaming common sense. Colleen was just going to roll it down a couple of inches, just enough for her to be able to hear what she was saying, but she accidentally pressed the button for the full automatic roll down. Why is that an option? (laughs) I don't ever want that to be an option. I always want that to be an option. (laughs) I'm never, I'm never trying to do that. You want to just hold the button down the whole time? No, but I just, yeah, it doesn't take that long. (laughs) I don't, and I'm always going half up, half down. <laughs> no, not me. Oh, I'm stressing. She quickly tried to correct her mistake and hit the button to raise the window back up, but it was too late. The woman had a can of pepper spray, and <gasps> as soon as the window opened, she began to spray it into Colleen's car directly on her face. The skin across her face began to burn. Her eyes automatically squeezed shut. The pain was so intense that Colleen couldn't even think, but she knew she had to get it together. She felt along the door for the button to raise the window and pushed it, and she forced her eyes open despite the burning and the tearing and the swelling. She held her breath because now she's trapped in this car with pepper sprays just circulating around her. She slammed her car into reverse and backed out of the parking space. And as soon as she put her car into drive, she saw the woman swing her duffel bag at the car. (gasps) And as soon as she was far enough away, she rolled down all the windows in the car except for her driver's window to try and let in fresh air. Her nose and her throat were on fire and she could barely breathe. I know none of this Mm -hmm. from what I thought where we were going. (laughs) What is happening? Colleen finally made it to the parking lot exit where there was an attendant in the booth, and she quickly told the toll booth attendant about her attack, and the attendant called the police for her. Colleen was in so much pain. She started crying in reaction to the chemicals, and she rubbed her eyes. The attendant told her not to rub her eyes. That would just make things worse. And she handed her two wet paper towels to, like, dab at her eyes with. Mm -hmm. And the paper towels helped her eyes from the burning, but not her nose. Officers Tim Ryan and Wendell Reeve arrived a few minutes later, and she described the woman to them. Dark hair, tan trench coat, cuffed blue jeans. Officer Ryan stayed with Colleen in the toll booth, while Officer Reeve started looking for the woman who'd attacked her. There wasn't many people out at this time of night, and Reeve soon saw a woman. She didn't completely match Colleen's description, but he watched her drop a white plastic bag and something black into a trash can, and it made him suspicious. He asked the woman for her ID, and as she dug through her duffel bag to find it, he saw the tan trench coat in her bag. He knew this was the right person. 
Officer Carol Waters joined him just then, and he left the woman with Waters so that he could run over to the trash can and get the items that she dumped and get Colleen to see if she could identify the woman. Oh, no. Don't bring her back. (laughs) When they came upon the woman, Colleen immediately said, that's her. She said she had the same nose, the same shoes, the same pants that were cuffed. She said her hair and coat were different, but she was positive it was her. Oh, girl got a wig. Mm Mm-hmm. The woman was handcuffed and sat on a bench while Officer Waters went through her duffel bag. She found the tan trench coat, which Colleen identified as the one worn by her attacker. But the next items Waters pulled out of the duffel bag made everyone's blood run cold. She pulled out a two-pound drilling hammer and a black buck knife. I don't know what those are. (laughs) But they don't sound good. Weapons, yeah. In the bag, they also found several feet of rubber tubing. A tan multi-pocket purse, NASA patches and pins, several receipts and pieces of paper, including a receipt for a day's in in the Florida panhandle, and a checklist of items, including the hammer and knife, as well as a BB gun, computer memory sticks, and a floppy disk, because this is 2007. (laughs) Later, police would look at the floppy disk and find photographs and drawings of a woman in bondage. What? They have no idea why she brought this floppy disk with her. And it's never explained. (laughs) Oh, great. Yeah. (laughs) In the trash can, Officer Ryan got the items he'd seen her throw out, which turned out to be a black curly wig and a CO2-powered BB gun loaded with the safety off. Oh, my God. But the most incredible thing they found that night was the identity of the woman. She was Lisa Nowak captain in the U.S. Navy, and an actual been-to-space NASA astronaut. Wait, she'd been to space? Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that. Yep. Like the year before. What year was this? 2007. 2007. Astronaut is one of the most elite jobs in the country. Only the best of the best. And one of the best of the best had just attacked a woman with pepper spray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? And had a floppy disk. (laughs) Yeah, we'll never explain the floppy disk. Well, that's disappointing. To understand the why, we have to understand Lisa Nowak. Lisa Nowak started out Lisa Marie Caputo, and Lisa Caputo was kind of a badass. Starting with being accepted into the Naval Academy in Annapolis in 1981, just five years after they started allowing women into the academy. She'd had dreams her entire life of being an astronaut, ever since she watched the moon landing on TV when she was five years old. And she knew her best chance of becoming an astronaut would be through the Navy. That blows my mind. People that are just so enamored with space. I mean, I literally live with it, but the idea of throwing up is enough to make me have no interest (laughs) in going. Like, there's no way you're an astronaut and you're not vomiting, right? The idea of going into something called the vomit comet as part of your training. (laughs) Mm -mm, I won't do it. And her first year in Annapolis was really tough. All freshmen at the Naval Academy are basically put through a year of hell and humiliation where they're called plebes, they're constantly yelled at, and this treatment of freshmen is meant to weed out anyone who isn't mentally and physically tough enough to make it through. And most people probably wouldn't think that this level of humiliation is worth it. But Lisa had goals. She worked hard, and she moved up from plebe to midshipman, and while at the academy, she met fellow aerospace engineer cadet Richard Nowak. Oh. (laughs) 
I see where this is going. (laughs) Lisa graduated from the academy in 1985 as an officer in the U.S. Navy with a Bachelor of Science degree in aerospace engineering. This was a huge moment for her, and she took a six-month assignment through the Navy at Johnson Space Center as an aerospace engineer at the Ellington Air Force Base. And for someone wanting to be an astronaut, being stationed at JSC is ideal since it's home to the astronaut corps and it's where most of the training takes place. And just as a reminder, this is happening only two years after Sally Ride became the first U.S. woman to go to space. Wait, when did that happen? 1983. Dang. But that didn't deter Lisa. In November of 1985, she was reunited with Richard Nowak when she went to attend flight school in Pensacola, something that not many women were able to do. And the regimen for flight school is even more rigorous than the academy. And then, on the morning of January 28, 1986, as the whole country watched on TV, the Challenger shuttle exploded due to a major malfunction, carrying a crew full of pioneers. There was the second U.S. woman to ever go into space, mission specialist Judith Resnick, Krista McCullough, who was to be the first teacher to ever go into space. It was also carrying the second black astronaut ever, Ronald McNair, and the first Asian-American astronaut, Ellison Onizuka. This was a major setback for the space program. But Lisa was not deterred. She pressed forward with her flight training. She finally got her wings, which was a huge achievement, especially for a woman in the 80s. Things were going really well for her, and her future was bright. We should have known something was up when she was not deterred by, oh, I don't know, the Challenger explosion. She still wanted to be an astronaut. In April of 1988, she married Richard. And in 1990, she went back to school at the U.S. Naval Postgraduate School in California, earning two master's degrees. Count them. (laughs) In aeronautical engineering and astronautical engineering. And then in 1992, she had her first child, Alexander. How are those not the same thing? I feel like if you get one, you should. Aeronautical and astronautical? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah. (laughs) There was probably a lot of overlap in those degree plans. (laughs) So to recap, over the span of less than a decade, she graduates from the Naval Academy with a bachelor's in aerospace engineering got her wings from flight school, got married, got two master's degrees in two of the most challenging engineering majors, and became a mom. So what have you done? Not that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, hmm. (laughs) Yeah, what have I accomplished? Not that. I've started a podcast. (laughs) But you know what? We will get to why sometimes being this driven, maybe not such a good thing. You know, she's reminding me of uh coco chanel because that's who she's reminding me of (laughs) oh no that's a good one (laughs) yeah i was thinking of amy bishop oh yeah but she's a lot more like sociable yeah at this point in her life anyway (laughs) i was gonna say she attacked someone in a parking lot with pepper spray and a wig so she did in 1995 nasa announced that it was selecting a new group of astronauts thousands of applications poured in and in early 1996 Lisa was selected as one of 150 finalists on her way to do what few people, maybe as few as 14 ever in history, have ever done. Be a mom and an astronaut. No thanks. (laughs) She came to Johnson Space Center here in Clear Lake for a week of orientation, interviews, and medical evaluations. And on May 1st, 1996, 
She was selected as one of 26 mission specialist candidates. Her dreams are finally coming true. So her family moved to Clear Lake, down the street from my mom's house, and Lisa reported for duty at Johnson Space Center to start her astronaut training. Is this the house I've been to multiple times? Yes. Yeah, she lived around the corner. Oh, boy. Yeah. Her husband, Richard, was also a naval flight officer, but a few years after their move to Houston, he left active duty and he joined the reserves, eventually working at Johnson Space Center in mission control. Astronaut training is not for the weak. There's vomit, people. It included survival training, a three-day trip to the Grand Canyon to study geology, and classwork on the space shuttle's many systems. As a mission specialist, she was expected to fly a minimum of four hours a month, and she also had training in the waters of the Weightless Environment Training Facility, which at the time was at Johnson Space Center, but now the pool is at Ellington. And it's the only thing I didn't get a tour of when it worked for NASA. And I'm still upset about it because I really want to see this pool. It's so that cool. Place does seem yeah. tight. She also had to train in the Vomit Comet, which <laughs> simulates weightlessness in a much more vomit-inducing way than the pool. And in August of 1998, she completed her astronaut training and was put in charge of operating the space shuttle's robotic arm. A few years later, in 2001, Lisa gave birth to twin daughters, Katrina and Mm -hmm. Alyssa. And the next year, NASA made the announcement that Lisa had been chosen to be part of the crew on the Columbia shuttle. My gosh, she's got three little kids. Mm Mm-hmm. Finally, something she dreamed of for over 30 years was going to happen. She was going to go into space on the Columbia shuttle. But then, on February 1st, 2003... Another tragedy struck when the Columbia exploded. Were there people on that? Killing all seven astronauts on board, including her best friend, Laurel Clark, and two others from her astronaut class. It was really, it was a really terrible, terrible thing. It was NASA's practice to provide the families of astronauts who had died with a personal casualty assistance officer. And NOAC did this for Laurel's family, her best friend that had died. She did everything for that family, going through their paperwork, bills, bank accounts, taking care of Laurel's son. She was spending 12 to 14 hours a day working for the Clarks, even though she had two-year-old twin daughters and a teenage son at home. It was an insanely stressful time for her, and she had to have been affected mentally by all of this. Like, she watched the shuttle blow up, carrying her best friend. Some people think maybe she never recovered from that. And it was also around this time that her marriage with Richard started to crumble. Okay. Look, I'm not trying to restock here at the blame buffet of all of these things that you're telling me about this woman Uh to just make the empathy platter. But I just, I just need you to know that the line is long today. Okay. And there's no specials or coupons. I think that there's a difference between excuses and an explanation. I'm not trying to excuse what she did. What she did. Giving me those beady eyes. Was a wacko. I'm trying to explain it. But for Lisa, life had to go on. And even the Columbia explosion did not deter her from her dreams of becoming an astronaut. In December of 2003, Lisa was a crew finalist for an upcoming mission, and she had to compete for two spots, which included going on an 11-day cold weather survival training course in Canada in January, with several Russian cosmonauts, Swedish and Canadian astronauts, 
and other fellow NASA astronauts, including one named Bill Ofline, who shared desk space with Lisa on the sixth floor of an office building at JSC. Okay, forget the vomit comment. I'm outright on this Swedish iceberg mission, whatever you called it. I'm out on that. That would do me in. Yeah, no kidding. They were basically dropped off in the middle of the wilderness in northern Quebec, and they had to make their way back on foot. They made the 20-kilometer, 12-mile trek in 11 days in the middle of the Canadian tundra. And I don't know what was going on out there in the woods, but when they got back to Houston, Lisa and Bill Ofline started up a secret affair. Oh, you know what was going on in the woods. How do you think they're keeping warm? (laughs) You think they're out there building fires? Come on, girl. Right. It was really important that it was kept a secret because they were both serving Navy officers and they could have been charged with conduct unbecoming under the Code of Military Justice. That's a court-martial offense. Bill had been married for 16 years when the affair began and he had a 14-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter. They weren't that sneaky about it, though. Because a year later, Bill's wife filed for divorce after finding emails between them. (laughs) So Bill moved into a small apartment and he gave Lisa a key and she started leaving personal things there. But Lisa's married. Yep. And she's got all these small babies running around. I know. Lisa. In the spring of 2005, the shuttle crew traveled to Cape Canaveral for training. Lisa told her colleagues that she had a work-related detour to make, but that detour turned out to be a trip to Key West with Bill. <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty sure Where they- Where is she going to hide that? I'm pretty sure they checked out a plane and flew there on one of the, like, one of NASA's planes. <laughs> like, piloted themselves Are you serious? To Key Can West. you do that? What's well, You're not supposed to. PJ. <laughs> it became pretty obvious to everyone at work that they were a couple. And Bill was encouraging Lisa to leave her husband, but she felt like that could negatively impact her astronaut dreams as a woman to get divorced when she's a female role model. It did not negatively affect Bill's astronaut life. Of course not. Not till later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wait. I think I know how that goes. And then finally, Lisa's dreams were about to come true. In July of 2006, Lisa was getting ready for her first trip to space on board the Discovery. At the launch, astronauts' families were given crew quarters to stay in, and in these quarters, a colleague saw Lisa and Bill together, which struck him as odd. Because Bill was also not flying on this mission. Yeah, what's he doing there? Canoodling. On July 4th, 2006, on the second mission after the Columbia explosion, Lisa Nowak became the 42nd woman in the entire world to go into space, ever. Her mission was a complete success. They spent 13 days on board the International Space Station, and they returned safely to Kennedy Space Center as heroes. But the return was really hard. The instant fame was hard to manage. Being an American hero was hard to manage. Oh, I'm sure it is so difficult. (laughs) And then there was the fact that since she was five years old, her entire life had been directed at accomplishing this one thing. And every single major accomplishment in her life had just been a stepping stone to get her here. And now she'd done it. And it was almost tragic because all she wanted was to go out one more time. But her first flight was more than likely going to be her last because the shuttle program was coming to a close 
and they had more astronauts than could possibly be used on all the remaining missions. Getting back to regular life was really tough. Lisa had not been a very hands-on parent, considering she was spending all of her time either training to be an astronaut or having an affair with an astronaut. Or literally being in space. Yeah, or the 10 days she spent in Yeah. Car seats on the shuttle. (laughs) She was unsure about what the future held for her, and she kind of developed a chip on her shoulder. Her behavior started to affect her marriage. Richard felt like he'd done everything for her. He'd moved. He'd taken care of the kids. Also, she could achieve her dream. And that had happened. So it was his turn now. Yeah, Lisa, way to be ungrateful. Right. And as her marriage deteriorated, her obsession with Bill grew. But she felt like Bill was fading away from her. She called him every day, but he didn't always return her calls. And she just figured he was focused on his upcoming mission because he was set to fly in space a few months later. And she knew what that was like. In fact, she'd just gotten word that she was being considered for a slot in another spaceflight crew because one of the original members had developed a medical problem and she wanted that spot bad. And now she had this fantasy in her head, one that revolved around divorcing Richard, going to space one more time, and then spending the rest of her life with Bill offline. But what Lisa didn't know was that Bill had begun to move on. In November, he'd traveled to Florida for four days with the rest of the crew for his upcoming mission. One evening, NASA threw a party for the crew, and that's where he met Colleen Shipman, who was 30 years old. And a captain in the Air Force. That's the same Colleen from the parking lot? Yep. Oh, girl. (laughs) This is getting spicy. Sparks were flying the second they met. And by the time Bill left Florida, they were basically a couple. Colleen, you better watch out. Pepper spray be flying soon. Get (laughs) out of there. Colleen flew out to Houston to visit Bill before he went into quarantine for his mission on December 7th which all astronauts have to do before they go into space to make sure they're not bringing any illnesses into space. Seeing the word quarantine when I was reading about something that happened in 2007 was very jarring and a little PTSD traumatic for me. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) While she was there, Bill told her about his relationship with Lisa, but that he'd told Lisa it was over. But that was a total lie. He had not told Lisa it was over. Yeah, he's just ghosting her. Yes. Basically, Colleen even asked Bill if he'd made it clear that it was over. And he said yes, that he wanted to be open and honest with her about his past, and that's why he'd told her about Lisa in the first place. Meanwhile, Lisa was told that she was not chosen to fill that vacancy in that mission, which basically slammed shut any opportunity for her to go into space again, ever. And now she felt like the only thing she had in life that was important to her was Bill. She shoved down all of the anger that she was feeling over the flight decision by throwing herself into the day-by-day preparations of Bill's flight. Bill's mission launched on December 10th, 2006, so we're talking five months after Lisa's mission. He spent 12 days in space and returned on December 22nd. That night, Lisa called Bill and left a message. He returned her call, but they only spoke for less than a minute. She texted him a little after 11, but he never texted back. So she called him eight more times before 2.15 a.m. He never answered the phone. He took Colleen as his plus one to the special dinner they had for the Discovery (gasps) crew. 
They were still in the crew quarantine facility, but they were allowed to invite one guest for the dinner, Uh, even in quarantine. (laughs) That's not how that works, guys. Which was Colleen. Speaking from the future. Wait, does she know? I'm assuming that Lisa knows about these dinners and is thinking she's going to get the invite. When you take someone to your formal, Mm -hmm. you better be going to their formal, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, I guarantee you she did not take him to her dinner. She's married. I'm sure she took her husband. Oh, that's right. (laughs) I keep forgetting about him. It's a secret, secret affair, Mogab. I know. Well, clandestine. (laughs) The next morning, Lisa called three times in 30 minutes. Bill called her back and they spoke for two minutes. Then they texted back and forth briefly. Lisa didn't know what was going on. And he's not exactly ghosting her. Like, he's responding to her. He's not, like, eagerly, you know, calling her first or, like, reaching out to her. But he's, like, keeping her dangling, you know? But he's, he's divorced, right? Or at least separated. Like, he's divorced. His he's yeah. moved out. Okay, yeah. so that's finalized. So now he's just juggling, like, two girlfriends. Correct. Right. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Colleen, on the other hand, she wanted to introduce Bill to her family. 
but she wanted to make sure that his relationship with Lisa was over. Bill insisted that she was still a good friend, but that she was happy for him, that he'd fallen in love. Colleen asked him if he was sure and if there was going to be some crazy lady showing up at her door trying to kill her. She Ah, said that. At your car. Yeah. (laughs) Bill said, no, she's not like that. They're always like that. We're always like that. When you drive them to that point. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. (laughs) But he continued to hang out with Lisa as friends. So he must not have been very concerned by her obsessive behavior. From outside looking in, Billy's behavior to Lisa looked cruel, but he didn't see it. I think it was good for his ego to have Lisa in love with him. So he just didn't do anything about it. On Christmas Eve morning, Lisa and Bill spoke for seven minutes. She called him again later that night and he didn't answer, but he sent her a text message and then they talked for half an hour later that night. I'm like annoyed. Like, what about her husband and her family? It's Christmas Eve. (laughs) Well, it's 37 minutes out of the whole day. I'm just saying Scott Pearson got all kinds of shade. (laughs) Well, that was half the morning that he was gone. (laughs) And she got shade too. (laughs) (laughs) The next day on Christmas, they had a couple of short conversations and they talked for more than 20 minutes that night. Bill was a busy guy this holiday season, you know, stringing. Stringing Lisa along while he's celebrating the holidays with Colleen's family, who thought he was a fantastic guy. They had no idea that he was talking to Lisa. Colleen then came out to Houston to celebrate New Year's with Bill at a party for his shuttle crew. And while she was there, she logged on to Bill's computer to check her email. And she noticed that when she started to type in her email address, Lisa Nowak's address was there as like one of the autofill suggestions, you know? I hate those, but yes. Colleen asked Bill about it, and he shrugged it off, telling her, you know, she comes over sometimes, occasionally uses the computer to check her email. Colleen didn't really like this, but she let it slide. An autofill, like, to log in as, not, like, a to email, like, he'd emailed her before. Like, she had logged in. She had logged, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. She thought things were settled, and the relationship was over, but unfortunately... No one had let Lisa know that. In early January 2007, Lisa and Richard separated. He'd gotten tired of trying to reach Lisa as she pulled further away from him in her attempt to get closer to Bill. Lisa wasn't upset about the separation. She was already planning her future with Bill, and this was just the next step towards that goal. But he doesn't know about Bill, right? No, I don't think he does. And it's like she's replaced her astronaut goal with... This goal of spending the rest of her life with Bill. Like now she's just got these new stepping stones to take to make that happen. So as soon as Richard moved out of their house, she wrote an email to Bill's mother, who she'd only met a couple of times, letting her know that it was over between Lisa and Richard and that she looked forward to getting to know the family better. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So Bill's mom calls Bill and is like, um, sweetie? You might want to have a conversation with Lisa. And (sighs) when he found out about the email, he knew it was time for a serious conversation with her. He finally told Lisa about Colleen. And this time he was very straightforward about it. To his relief, she seemed disappointed, but not overly upset by the news. She said that she was happy for him and she just wanted to make sure that they could stay friends and train together. 
They were on the same team signed up to do the MS-150 bike tour, which is a two-day ride in April from Houston to Austin that raises money for uh, multiple sclerosis. And my cousin actually did the MS-150 one year. And Bill and Lisa made plans to do training rides and gym workouts together to get ready for it. And so she wanted to make sure she like still had her training partner, her training buddy. They parted ways from that conversation with very different interpretations of it. Bill thought things were over. He put a picture of Colleen up in his office, glad he'd had the conversation and that Lisa was okay with everything. Lisa, on the other hand, walked away thinking that his relationship with Colleen couldn't be that serious. He said it was over, but wanted to continue to spend time with her. So she was definitely not giving up that easy. Mm -hmm. During the month of January, she called him 70 times and sent him more than 40 texts. The more distant he became, the more desperate she got. And Bill had made a big mistake. He'd never taken back the key to his apartment that he'd given Lisa. Oh, (laughs) no. Rookie mistake. Rookie mistake, Bill. Billy O. So on January 23rd, in the middle of the afternoon, while she knew Bill was in a meeting at Johnson Space Center, she used her key to get into his apartment. And on the coffee table in the living room, she saw Colleen's upcoming flight reservation. She copied the – because, you know, you used to have to print it off. Oh, yeah. I still do. You don't just check it on your phone? What are you, weirdo? You print off your flight reservation? Yeah, have you seen all my boarding passes? Then what do you do? Do you you file it I make art. Did you see my big boarding pass map that's in the shape of the United States? Oh, yeah. I saw that. But, like, you don't print that off. You get that printed at the airport, right? You're not, like, printing off the paper with your reservation on it. That's your boarding pass. Um, yeah, I guess. Right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Anyways, she saw Colleen's flight reservation on the coffee table. She copied the details down, which included the arrival time of her flight back to Orlando, which was early in the morning on February 6th. Oh, no. Lisa had a list of passwords that Bill used, and so she was able to log into his email. And she downloaded all the messages between Bill and Colleen. And that's when she realized that Colleen had been in the picture much longer than she'd thought. And she realized how serious their relationship actually was, and she was even more determined to bring it to an end. That evening at 6, Lisa went with Bill to a two-hour MS-150 race meeting at St. Arnold's, which is a local brewery here in Houston. And also, that's crazy because that's the same team my cousin rode for when she did that race. So, Oh, really? Maybe I need to ask her about this later. (laughs) (laughs) Note to self. I don't think she did it in 2007. So, (laughs) While they were at that meeting, Bill had no idea Lisa had been in his apartment earlier that day. He invited her to come by his place before she went home, but she said no. She had a mission to plan, after all. Hmm. See, but here's my issue. Mm -hmm. That's mixed signals. Like, mm-hmm. don't be inviting her over. Come back to my you place don't... after this? Yeah. yeah like no what? Kidding. To have, to have right. coffee? To just chit-chat, no. chitty-chat-chat? Chat. Yeah. I thought the same thing. But she had this mission to plan. So first, she got three days off work, saying she needed it because of her failing marriage. Then she got on MapQuest. Now children, gather round. <laughs> MapQuest is an old-timey contraption that was kind of like Google Maps, except you had to print directions off on paper. Mogab probably still does that, too. I was going to say, talk (laughs) about printing off directions. No, but I saw photos of me from college, and I'm holding the map quest. (laughs) And if you messed up, there's no, like, rerouting. No, there's no rerouting. You No, you're just done. And when you're trying to drive, like, 
to a different city. <laughs> when you've never been, I mean, I went an hour out of my way trying to get to school. Uh-huh. So Lisa printed off directions from Johnson Space Center on NASA Road 1 to the Orlando International Airport. Then oh, she got a map of Orlando, goodness. a detailed schematic drawing of the airport, the schedules for the shuttle runs from the terminal to the parking lot, and handwritten directions to Colleen's apartment, complete with latitude and longitude. Why? You don't need that. Because her plan was to get to Colleen's apartment. Yeah, but you need <laughs> longitude and latitude. Right, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why the longitude and latitude. I like there. struggle when it's like, turn, yeah. go east. I'm no, like, which way? Is right or left, right or <laughs> <Yeah>. left. <laughs> it was 67 pages worth of maps, directions, and GPS coordinates. Oh my goodness. She made a list of all the supplies she'd need for the trip, like a giant stack of cash, and for the confrontation, like the wig, Trench coat, BB gun, mallet, rubber tubing, latex gloves, and plastic bags. What was she going to do? Was she going to kill her? I mean, it definitely doesn't sound like her plan was going to end at pepper spray. Yeah. True that. What about her kids? Yeah, she's not thinking about them. They're with their dad. She timed her journey perfectly. She studied maps of the airport to figure out the most likely way that Colleen would get from the terminal to her car. And then she drew a map of the most likely route from the airport to Colleen's home in Cape Canaveral. Lisa knew how long it would take to drive the 950 miles to Orlando, and she planned for one overnight stop in the Florida Panhandle. She estimated how long it would take her to drive from that hotel to Orlando, check into the hotel, take a shuttle to the airport, and get in her spot before Colleen's flight landed. And she left exactly on time. And I know everyone is waiting for that one detail that every single person knows about this story. The diapers. Yeah, what? In the police report, it said that Officer Becton had found diapers when searching her car. Two used diapers and 20 to 30 unused. He'd asked her why she had them. And according to his official police report, Lisa told him she wore them so she wouldn't have to stop to urinate. Okay. I am disgusted. I'm appalled <laughs> by everything. But you mean to tell me that she only had to pee twice? I mean, I have to stop twice in between Louisville and Columbus. And she went all the way and from Texas to Florida. And she would have had to stop to get gas at least twice from here to the panhandle. So, or at least once. Yeah, I don't know what she's driving, but. But here's the thing. Officer Becton did not take the diapers into evidence because, like, they're not really a sign of her guilt or not. And Lisa later denied this whole story. And she said that the diapers found were toddler diapers that were still in her car from when they'd had to evacuate from Hurricane Rita in 2005. I'm sorry, you left diapers in your car for two years? I don't I got stuff in my car that's like. Okay, gross. You do not. <laughs> you do not. Oh, a million no. percent. I've definitely had things in my car for years. You have dirty diapers in your car for two okay, years. Okay, that's the thing that gets me is the dirty diapers. That there were the that's two used diapers. Yeah, no, that's weird to me. She said they were in there from 2005. Girl, please. She meant the like box of diapers that he found. Oh. She never addressed the used diapers and... I'm sorry, girls wearing diapers. Look, they pee on themselves all the time in space, so she ain't thinking twice about wearing a diaper, right? They pee on themselves in space, I think. 
But then if she used them, did she like get out to change them? Like there's the two used diapers. She got out of the car to change them. Okay, might as well just go to, you gotta change your diaper. That takes, that would have required her to stop. more time. Because if she'd changed them at her hotels, they obviously wouldn't have been in the car. But I don't see how that comment would have ended up in the police report if she hadn't said it. And if he wouldn't have found them. Right. Many outlets reported that they were actually maximum absorption garments called MAGs, which are what is used by astronauts when they're in their spacesuits, because I bet those are like harder than a wedding dress to pee in, you know? But I didn't have access to the police report, and so I couldn't determine if Officer Becton had specified what kind of diapers were in the car, or if they were the space diapers or toddler diapers, like Lisa said. And a judge would later suppress Lisa's initial statements to police, as well as all of the evidence found in her car, citing police misconduct in their initial search. So who knows? Why? Because they did not read her her rights. They illegally searched her car. Mm. And so who knows? I don't know. I have so many. It's like everyone's first day on the job. Come on, Wendell. You didn't know you had to read her right. rights. I don't know. I have so many questions, but really nobody except Lisa Nowak knows if she actually had diapers or not. And that's that. I have a question about the floppy disk. Yeah, still. I have so many questions about the floppy disk. <laughs> that will also not be answered in this hour. Thank you. While Lisa's carrying out her plan to get to Orlando, Bill and Colleen were spending that weekend together in Houston, totally oblivious. It was something they'd really been looking forward to. Bill picked Colleen up from the airport in Houston at 7.30 on Thursday, February 1st, and he took her back to his apartment, which was on NASA Parkway in Seabrook, by the way. The next morning, Colleen noticed there were two bikes parked in his bedroom and that one of them was purple. So she asked Bill about the bikes, and he reluctantly told her that it was Lisa's. Colleen told him that it made her uncomfortable that he was keeping her bike there, and it made her wonder if he was all in on their relationship. He said he was, and he promised to get rid of the bike the next day. And then their conversation turned to their plans for the future, which included Colleen leaving the Air Force and moving to Houston. They planned to go down to a small airport in Galveston to scope out the helicopter job market that she could maybe do if she moved here. I didn't know there were helicopter jobs in Galveston. I don't know. I was just thinking like helicopter tours. But right. But of Galveston? I mean. Uh, maybe like medic with UTMB and everything down there. Like maybe like hospital life flight stuff maybe or Coast Guard. Yeah, maybe. Know. On Saturday, Bill and Colleen went to a club in Houston to celebrate the birthday of a friend of Bill's. And back. Ooh, what was it? The hop? No, it was in Houston. I don't think it was in oh. like, I think they went downtown. <laughs> like to where the good clubs are. <laughs> My mom loved the hop. Is that still so? Around? Did my mom? Yes, <laughs> it's still oh, around. Oh my god! And it's still. We should go there. Exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, mirrored walls. The whole, all of the walls are mirrored. Oh, have you been inside? <laughs> yeah, I've been there with oh. my mom. <laughs> she got asked to oh dance god. more times than I did. So, well, and by that I mean all okay. night while I sat and straightened my hair in the mirrors on the wall. <laughs> I did that, yeah. Because I, I was with Stephanie too. She came with us, and she had a one of those like travel hair straighteners. So we just like plugged yeah. it in, and then used the mirrors on the wall at this bar, <laughs> straighten our hair. Oh God, the hop. Yeah, it's a classy oh. joint. Is it like fifties music? No, do they play? uh-uh. Oh. No, they play. You know, get your dance hop on and stuff. They play hop and stuff. Oh. 
Back at the apartment, Colleen saw that the purple bike was gone, and she was happy about it, until they were lying in bed, and Bill hugged her and called her Lisa. <gasps> what? Yeah. Not mm-hmm. even close. Mm-hmm. How do you mess that up? I know. I know. That tells me right there that if she did come over, if Lisa did come over, when he was like, come on over after the meeting, mm-hmm. they would have hooked up. Probably. She's I think a cheater, so. cheater, pumpkin eater. Cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. Meanwhile, Lisa's on the road. She drove for over nine hours, possibly nonstop in a diaper, to get to Florida. <laughs> and she stopped at a Days Inn off the highway, registering under the name Linda Turner and paying in cash. She slept for a few hours before she was on the road again for the last five and a half hours to Orlando. On February 5th, she checked into the La Quinta Inn, and from there, she took the courtesy shuttle to the airport. She told the driver she was picking up her boyfriend. She got to the airport about half an hour before Colleen's flight was scheduled to land at 1.05 a.m. And if there's nothing I'm more sure of in this whole world, it's that I never want to take a flight that is scheduled to land at 1.05 in the morning. You never had to do that? Hell no. Ooh, I've had to do it a bunch by myself. Or it like gets Ugh. delayed till that late. I know. Okay, well, get you some cat ear keychains for those pepper spray moments. I got nunchucks, girl. <laughs> <laughs> do you know how to use them? Because <laughs> isn't going to get you anywhere. <laughs> I don't even really know what they're supposed to do. <laughs> Does anyone? Like, what are they supposed to do? I don't know. Ask a ninja. <laughs> watch a YouTube how-to. <laughs> Better watch out. I might. Because uh, I would just use them as like, like spinning helicopter. That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah. Helicopter spinning. If anyone has a nunchuck tutorial they want to send our way. Lisa sat down in the spot that she'd chosen as the best location to be able to see Colleen leave the terminal. But she wasn't sure she'd be able to see her. So a couple of times she went down to baggage claim to check and then she came back to her spot. She was wearing a hat and sunglasses. At one in the morning, sunglasses uh-huh. inside. Yep. All of this, by the way, was caught on security cameras. You can watch her stalk Colleen at this airport all the way to the shuttle bus. If I kind of want to. Colleen arrived on time, but her luggage hadn't made it on her flight. It was scheduled to come into Orlando on a flight that would land at 3 a.m. Colleen chose to wait for her luggage rather than have them deliver it. And so she went to Starbucks. She got a hot chocolate and a Danish. That's what I can't wrap my head around is like mm-hmm. she could have gone home and just mm-hmm. come back and gotten it the next no, day. No, they'll deliver they it deliver. to you. Yeah, they'll they'll bring it to yeah. you. Yeah. But like you Well, she know. didn't live in Orlando. She lived in Cape Canaveral, so she didn't want to come back. And oh. it was probably one of those things where she's like, okay, it's coming in in an hour and a half and mm-hmm. I want my stuff. Like I'm worried yeah. that you're not going to get it to me and that it's going to get lost again because you've already lost it once. You put it on the wrong flight. I guess I'm just shocked that she's saying there's stuff open because the Orlando airport, I've been stranded in it so many times, and everything there closes at 10. So there ain't no Starbucks open at 3 a.m. I can tell you that. Well, in 2007, it was open because Lisa sat there and watched her eat this Danish and drink her hot chocolate. And then Colleen moved down the hall to a bench next to the moving walkway, and she closed her eyes and took a little 30-minute power nap. And Lisa was watching her the whole time. Oh, my word. Yes. After the attack, so then, you know, the attack happens. Where's TSA? See something, say something. No one's thinking this is weird. 
Uh-uh. Answer for your crimes. Like you're <laughs> you're looking for stranded suitcases and you're not worried about the trench coat and the girl in sunglasses <laughs> at two in the morning. That's my beef. Yeah. Here yeah. At the buffet. I'm serving <laughs> up that. TSA, you're on the blame buffet. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the blame buffet. Here's a serving of blame. After the attack. Hot and fresh, baby. Hot and fresh. <laughs> After the attack, Lisa was arrested and charged with attempted murder, attempted kidnapping, attempted burglary, battery, and destruction of evidence. Whoa, they can get her for all that? Can mm-hmm. they really do attempted murder? They did. It was dropped later, but okay. yeah. Sounds like an attempted ass beating, but. <laughs> this, I think it was because of all the weapons in her car. Sure. Like, I think she was going to, like, literally beat some ass, but. Yeah, I think because she had the directions to Colleen's apartment. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do think that she was going to kill her if her whole plan had come to fruition. But if that was really her plan, if she really intended to go through with that, then how stupid to confront her in the parking lot and pepper spray her right there. Where were you going to go from there? Even if she hadn't managed to get away, where are you going to go? She's in her car. The door's locked. You know, I mean. Well, and there's the guard stand. Like you, yeah, you're still inside the air. Yeah, you're still inside the airport. So I kind of feel like she jumped the gun a little bit. Maybe she didn't really want to kill her, but she was so angry that she decided, you know, she was going to try to get her there, and she she couldn't catch up to her at the car, and she was so. I'm sure the hour and a half and like the tiger snooze in the airport and the Starbucks like really threw off her game, like yeah. the delayed luggage, and then she just like pounced when she like she didn't think it through. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. She threw off her game. All right. So this was the first time that an astronaut had ever been arrested, let alone charged with so many felonies. Yeah. You don't Hmm. get arrested when you're an astronaut. (laughs) Police asked her what she was planning on doing with everything she'd been found with. The steel mallet, the four-inch buck knife, the loaded BB gun. She said she hadn't intended on hurting Colleen. She just wanted to scare her into talking to her. And if she refused, Lisa had planned to use the BB gun to force her to talk. She never gave an explanation for the knife, the hammer, the rubber tubing, or the plastic gloves, or the bondage photos on that floppy disk. Yeah, okay, but like, somebody's asked more questions then. Like, <laughs> what do you mean she just didn't answer? I like, know. <laughs> <laughs> ask better questions. Get a false confession at this point. On that floppy disk. Right. And police pointed out the fact that Lisa wore a disguise and surveilled Colleen for hours at the airport, passing up numerous opportunities to talk to her if that's all she wanted to do. When police questioned Bill, they asked him to define his relationship with Lisa, and Bill couldn't do it. He finally defined her as an ex-interest because she was definitely not his girlfriend. But they did have a relationship. Then he said he'd consider her one of his best friends at NASA. She got friend-zoned. Yeah. (laughs) Bill was basically clueless, just in shock that Lisa had done what she'd done. He hadn't seen it coming at all. Lisa was released on $25,500 bail, and she had an ankle bracelet with GPS put on to make sure she did not come back to Florida. They put her on a plane back to Houston and had a car meet her plane on the tarmac at Bush Intercontinental Airport. And they took her straight to Johnson Space Center for a medical evaluation. 
And in the book I read, it said that in many circles, Clear Lake and mental illness are now inexorably linked after Lisa became the newest member of the group, the women of Clear Lake who snapped. (laughs) That's literally what the book called them, by the way. (laughs) Seems like a very exclusive club. Yes. I always just said that there must be something in the water in Clear Lake. So it's pretty validating to read the book connecting all these cases because we've got Andrea Yates, who was another neighbor of mine who drowned her five children while her husband was at work at NASA. And Clara Harris, the dentist who ran over her husband with her Mercedes. That also happened down the street from my house. (laughs) Which we have or have not confirmed might have been my orthodontist. That she killed. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We're not 100%, but I think that Dr. Harris... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, was my orthodontist. So and there's that. Now we have the astronaut who drove cross country to attack her lover's girlfriend. I will be covering all of these cases at some point. Two neighbors had gone into Lisa's house that morning before she arrived. It wasn't me. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> and hung paper shades in all the windows that didn't already have drapes, which was a really good thing because by the time Lisa was taken home that night, the media storm had gathered. The book describes Lisa Street as a peaceful suburban street in Clear Lake, which is exactly what it is. That's what all of them are. (laughs) (laughs) But for several days after this happened, it was a nightmare. News vans and satellite trucks were parked up and down the street and around the corner. My mom said it was absolutely crazy. I was away at college and I missed all the excitement. Bummer. But everyone was talking about this. She was the running joke on late night talk show monologues. Articles came out with headlines like Astro Nut, and there was a lot of criticism against NASA and their selection and screening processes for their astronauts. (laughs) Astro Nut. Yeah. Yeah, I know. NASA immediately placed her on a 30-day leave, at the end of which they sent her a letter letting her know that she was no longer employed as an astronaut. And an astronaut healthcare system review committee was put into place to examine how well NASA attended to the mental health of their astronauts. Spoiler, they they did not attend to the mental health of their astronauts. Mm. It's 2007. Nobody was attending to anybody's mental health. Yeah. A month later, in April, the Navy sent her down to Corpus Christi to help develop training programs there while they deferred action against her until after her criminal trial, which was scheduled for September, that would be in Orlando. Lucky her. What a treat. Home of Selena and Whataburger. Lucky. (laughs) Yeah, my mom grew up there in Corpus. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where she's from. Hmm. Her whole life. I love how you just lumped your mom in with Whataburger and Selena. Well, yeah. Shouts to you, Kathy. (laughs) In May, NASA ended Bill's assignment with the space agency as well. He'd become a liability, and not only that, he had the threat of a court-martial hanging over his head for his affair with Lisa. Conduct unbecoming an officer. Mm -hmm. Prosecutors decided not to file the attempted murder charge that was recommended by the Orlando police, but they did go through with the attempted kidnapping, burglary with assault, and battery charges, which still had the potential to put her behind bars for life. Really? Yeah. Later that summer, prosecutors learned that Lisa would be pursuing a temporary insanity defense. Normally, the burden of proof in a criminal trial is on the state. They have to prove that the person did whatever they're charged with doing. But an insanity defense means the burden of proof is shifted to the defense. Now they have to prove that at the time of the attack, Lisa was incapable of understanding the consequences of her actions or even understanding that her actions were wrong. Two Houston psychiatrists diagnosed Lisa with obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, 
a single episode of severe major depressive disorder, and a brief psychiatric episode that produced a mixed manic and depressive-like state, which caused insomnia, extreme weight loss, and irrational behavior. They cited problems with her family and her marriage, as well as a lack of a social support system with friends or even her parents and sisters. She was also diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, one of the hallmarks of which is an obsessive interest in a single object or topic to the exclusion of any other, which causes them to be isolated because of their poor social skills and narrow interests. And this diagnosis seems to explain a lot about Lisa and her life choices. Like the fact that she was so focused on being an astronaut for 30 years. In August of 2007, Lisa appealed to have her ankle monitor taken off because it was uncomfortable, inconvenient, and costing her 100 bucks a week. Why is it costing her 100 bucks a week? She's got to pay for mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Oh, that's some shit. She gets the bill. Yeah. <laughs> the judge said those reasons weren't enough, but he did say that the ankle monitor wasn't fulfilling its purpose, which was to notify authorities if Lisa got too close to Colleen. It was really to keep her out of Florida. And Colleen testified that she was still afraid of Lisa and she wanted her ankle monitor to remain on. But she'd taken three to four trips to Houston to visit Bill since the incident, and Lisa was free to move about Houston. The ankle monitor wouldn't change that. So the judge let Lisa remove the ankle monitor. Oh. Yes. Hmm. Over the next year, there would be several appeals that would keep pushing her trial back. First, a judge ruled that all of her statements to police and all of the evidence found in her vehicle would be suppressed due to police misconduct, but the state appealed. And it was found that her statements were taken without giving her her Miranda rights, but that the evidence in her car could be admissible under the inevitable discovery exception to the search warrant requirement, meaning that police would have inevitably found those items in the normal course of their investigation, even without her statement that had been taken illegally. So no statement, yes, evidence from the car. How are we still doing things without reading people their Miranda rights? I don't even watch that much true crime, and I feel like I could read someone their rights, you know, maybe 40% right now. I guess it can be tricky when you're looking at when do I read them their rights? But, I mean, she was obviously a suspect from the very beginning, so. I mean, they put handcuffs on her and set her down. That's a good time. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're totally right. Yeah. In May of 2009, they announced that Lisa would not claim insanity, and in November of 2009, she entered a plea of guilty to felony burglary and misdemeanor battery as part of a plea deal, and she was sentenced to a year of probation with no additional jail time. That's it? Yeah. (laughs) A year of probation for this whole thing. In March of 2011, she was able to get the record of her criminal proceedings sealed. So it's like... Nothing ever happened, kind of. I mean, I know it's not like expunged, I mean, right? She but... lost her job and and all of that. And, yeah. and we'll talk about what the Navy did. And I'm sure she's a Saturday Night Live skit, you know? Yeah, you know, but... 10 years ago she was, but right. throughout that whole time, so that was like two years, you know, Lisa was kept mm-hmm. on with the Navy while they waited for her case to be resolved so that they could then criminalize her personal life too. Her divorce had been finalized in 2008, and somehow Lisa was given full custody of all three of her children. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> so she gets a year of Someone probation. She gets full custody of her kids. 
after her case was resolved, the Navy determined that Lisa would be separated from them with an other than honorable discharge and a reduction in rank from captain to commander. So she retired from the Navy on September 1st, 2011 with an other than honorable discharge, which I guess is different than a dishonorable discharge. Yeah. And as a commander instead of a captain. I'm annoyed. I know. And in 2017, which is the most recent that I could find, People Magazine reported that Lisa was working in the private sector and that she was doing well, which I mean, I'm not annoyed by that. Like, I'm glad she's doing well now. Like, I don't like wish, you know, ill will on her for making this horrible mistake. But you don't have ill will on your buffet? Not for Lisa Nowak. I feel like definitely what she did was like wrong and it hurt Colleen. Like, I don't want to get pepper sprayed in my car. And I'm sure she was terrified. And you don't just get over an attack like that. You know, I'm sure she was Mm -hmm. scared for a long time. Anytime she was alone, like I would be terrified. But I don't think that means that she should suffer forever. She lost her job. She, you know, her very prestigious job, like, but they say she's doing well. She's working in the private sector. So good for her. That's fine. How do you know if Colleen and Bill are still together? Yeah, they're married. Bill she and- didn't crush that wedding? <laughs> Bill and Colleen. I would have been terrified. No, Colleen would have been terrified that that wedding date and location was getting out. I mean, you have to think. You have to think she's showing up. Well, they moved to Alaska. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. And they have a son who would be nine now, I think. Colleen writes fiction books under a pen name and Bill, according to Wikipedia, is a freelance adventure writer and photographer now, so. 40% accurate. 40% accurate. (laughs) Yes. The rest of this was from a book that I read. Still out here reading books, huh? Because, okay, here's the thing. I, you know, I've heard a lot of coverage on this case. And this is the thing that always bugged me. When they talked about the attack, they said that she ran to her car and jumped in and closed the door and locked it right when Lisa ran up to jiggle the handle. And I was always like, What'd she do with her suitcase? She leave it outside? Did she bring it into her seat with her? Where's her suitcase? And so it wasn't until I read this book that they said she opened the back seat, threw her luggage in, then got into the driver's seat. And I was like, thank you. I don't think I would have done that. I don't think I would have cared about my suitcase. I would have because she's not wearing a mask and chasing me with a knife going, ee, ee, ee. you know, I mean, you don't know what this person's intentions yeah. are. And you, I, I say you, me, I would be trying to find a rational explanation that's not this random woman is trying to attack me. I'm not that important. But when you told me this in this order, with the attack being first, I assumed that this person was a stranger to Colleen. Didn't Colleen kind of know that there was like, she was worried about Lisa? No. Like she made that comment? And Bill yeah, said no. A- and Bill said no, she's not like that. It's fine. I've told her everything's great. Yeah. Bill's got a front row seat at my blame buffet. Her, and that that's just something you say like, oh, this person's not going to come kill me, are they? Like, you know, you're not actually worried that they're going to come kill you. And she had no reason. Know. Like, Bill wasn't like, oh, that's my crazy ex, you know. Like, he wasn't even doing that. Like, he was still friends with her. And I think her only concern with Lisa was – is Bill really that serious about our relationship because he's still, you know, hanging out with this girl that he used to date or whatever that he had this affair with and her bike is here and her email is here and like is he as serious about this relationship as I am because it's not looking like it and I think that was her 
her only concern when it came to Lisa. And that is the story of the Clear Lake Astronaut. I'm so glad you told me that. I had always heard, <laughs> you know, like but you just grow hadn't up heard the like details. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just know about that. And I, yeah, I can't wait to continue this saga with you of the Clear Lake. <laughs> yes. Again, non consecutive. They're not going to be next. I don't know when I'm going to do the other ones. Will the Toddville Mansion get in there? I mean, I know it's not a woman in Clear Lake, but I need to know what happened there. Yeah, and I that's in our backyard. I don't know anything about that, so I'll do it eventually. It's on my list. Hey, peeps and creeps. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love for you to follow us on social media at Creepers Pod or join our Facebook discussion group. You can also email us any feedback, case suggestions, or just stop in and say hi at creeperspod at gmail.com. Also, a huge thank you to everyone who's left us a review on Apple Podcasts. They are coming and we are so happy about it. We love them. They also help us out in a big way. So if you liked this episode, we would love it if you'd take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, on Audible, on, I think, CastBox, and something else. So that would be great. (laughs) We don't care where they're from. We want them. (laughs) Yeah. And Spotify needs to get on having reviews. It's stupid that Spotify doesn't have them. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell Mogab another wild story. And this next one is wild. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Bye, peeps and creeps.